Remain standing and let's just read together James 4, 13 through 17. It's in the center fold of your bulletin or you can turn to the scripture. This is from the ESV. Let's read together. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, there it is. You good? I got one thumb. Oh, you can hear me? Okay, awesome. <laughs> uh, so maybe about 15, when communion was getting started, McLeod came up to me and he asked, you got everything you need? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And then I realized I don't have my notes. Uh, they're at home on the couch. So we're going to try to do this noteless uh, and echoless uh, as well. But anyways, uh, I really like this uh, scripture. Uh, when I found out when I would be preaching, I had a pretty good idea what uh, scripture I was going to uh, use. Um, wasn't entirely sure, but I had a pretty good idea. Not because I want to get up here and call everyone arrogant and evil, uh, but because this is a verse that for me I've revisited uh, around this time of year, maybe for, I don't know, the past six or seven years. Um, it's kind of been something that I've always gone to because I've needed it and needed to be grounded and needed those reminders. Um, and so, yes, on the front, it does sound kind of mean, uh, but our sin is ugly and it is evil. Um, and we need to call it for what it is if we're really going to uh, address it and handle it. But the goal is for, guess, for me to communicate to you the excitement that I get from preaching this to myself every year uh, around this time. And so the reason I picked this time, because I think this is when it really ramps up. Uh, I think the issue James is addressing, well, we have a problem with year round. But I think around this time of year, the holidays, is when we're most likely to say, hey, we're, next week, tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such city. I'm going to go to Arkansas and visit my parents, and I'm going to go to Cincinnati and visit Carrie's parents, and then I'm going to go to Chicago for vacation for New Year's, and then I'm have all these New Year's resolutions that I am going to do next year and not going to do next year, and 2020 is going to be this kind of year for me, yada, yada, yada. And the truth is, we don't know that. You have absolutely no idea what the future holds for you. Um, but we act like we do, um, even when we pretend like we don't. Sometimes we have this immediate defense. We're like, oh, I'm a Christian. I know God's in control. I get that. <laughs> but the truth is, I would guess is all of you expect to go home safely tonight. Right? And why is that, though? I would also guess it's not because you're thinking God is so good to me. He's going to protect me. He's going to get me home. It's probably just it's going to happen. That's what always happens. Um, 
even though there's absolutely nothing you can do to make sure you get home safely. We operate um, as if there's just this autonomy, as if God created the world, and then he just kind of pushed it in motion, and everything just kind of runs smoothly. And you, as a person, you just go with the flow. Unless you do something to mess it up, you'll be all right. Traffic is what it is. As long as I buckle up, pay attention, I'll get home safe. You may give a little, ooh, thanks, God, if you realize you swerved up the lane. But prior to that, it probably wasn't on the forefront of your mind that God is actually in control, even though you know it, right? James is writing to Christians um, here, so he knows that they know this stuff. And for not just any random group of Christians, these are ones who have actually been kicked out of Jerusalem for their faith. They're spread all over Western Asia. I had to do my compass um, because of their faith. Um, and so it's not just a given that you know this just because you believe in God or just because you know the scripture. But I do think sometimes we want to act like that is the case. So spend some time. What is that? 1125. Is that right? Like, OK. Uh, making sure that we kind of get this point a little bit over. So a lot of what will be said isn't actually in the text. There will be some stories, some examples. Uh, and that is because the text is pretty straightforward uh, with what it's saying. Um, and I think to really understand how to apply it, how to use it, you got to kind of dig kind of into your mind a little bit more. Um, so if you are like me and you like a 15-verse grammatical contextual breakdown of every word, uh, this ain't that. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best to still be faithful to what, is, what was written um, in this passage. Uh, so when I, when I read this, I think of uh, my dad growing up. And I'm originally from Little Rock, Arkansas. It's about a nine-hour drive, eight if he's driving. Uh, and what would happen, whenever we got ready to go to a road trip, if it was coming to Indianapolis to visit my uncle, we were going to Memphis for the Koji Convocation, he would pull out in the driveway, he'd park, and he'd give this long, loud prayer about being safe on the road. Every time we got ready for a road trip. Really appreciate it. Always had me thinking, oh, yeah, we need God's protection. But if he was going to Kroger, all right, it was just hurry up, get in the car, room pulled out, totally would run the stop sign that's there on the corner of the street, would drive on the wrong side of the road. If you've been with my dad, there's no exaggeration whatsoever. And it was, I'll be back in 10 minutes. And I get, I don't think that that meant my dad didn't believe in God or didn't think he needed God's protection. But I know for me, functionally, what it kind of says is, I need God's protection going to Indianapolis nine hours. Going to Kroger and back, I'll be all right. And your kids are watching you. And you are instilling some of those things. And that is not to say that everywhere you got to go, you got to stop in the driveway and have a 10-minute prayer before you go. No, that's not what that's saying. But it is you should have an active life that suggests, I need God's protection. Walk into the mailbox just as I need it, driving nine hours to Arkansas or to Indianapolis. Uh, so, I'll tell you a story about two made-up high schoolers, Janelle and Ricky. So I used to work with high schoolers um, in this IPS tutoring program, and we'd have this big Christmas event. I'll just give you a little snapshot of what would happen sometimes around this Christmas event. We would bus them to the Colts practice facility where we'd have the event. And what would happen in the cafeteria while we're, everyone's eating pizza, 
I'd hear Ricky say to his friends, hey, man, Janelle's got the starburst. I'm going to try to sit with her on the bus so I can eat, so I can have some. So he shot across the cafeteria, hey, Janelle, sit with me on the bus, okay? And then Janelle's like, oh, did you hear Ricky wants to sit with me? I think he likes me. I think he's going to ask me out, this, this, and that. And she's telling all her friends, and they're hyping the situation up, and they have really had, this is just about starburst. <laughs> and so I'm looking at Janelle and her friends like, man, kid, you're about to be really disappointed when you realize all he wants is your starburst. Literally, metaphorically, that's, he just, he's not interested in you. <laughs> so we get to the event. And I kind of break it down for Ricky. But before I do, I just want to like, before just coming straight at him, like, hey, you can't like lead girls on this, 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 and that. I try to just have some casual conversation, open them up. What are you getting for Christmas? Oh, I'm getting a scooter. Mom's buying me Xbox. This is this and that. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Then I talk to him about what he did with Janelle. Mom picks him up three hours later to go home from the Christmas event and go up to mom, shake her hand, kind of laughing. Hey, you know, Ricky's a great kid. He's breaking girls' hearts already, this, this, that. And he said he's, he's really excited for that Xbox at school he's getting for Christmas. Mom's like, who's he getting the Xbox from? <laughs> who's buying that? He ain't getting it from me, so I don't know how he's going to get it. And I think we have a lot of Janelle and Ricky moments where we put all these proclamations out there. Put all these proclamations out there, what's going to happen. I'm going to go get this furniture. I'm getting this furniture next week. I'm about to start working at Lily. We're having this Ricky moment, and God's like, who hired you at Ricky? <laughs> who, who's giving you this job? Because I'm not the one giving it to you. Who's giving you this job? Or we have these Janelle moments. We have all these uh, ideas about how this situation is going to play out in our assessment of what this meant and how it's going to go and this, this, this. And then I think God's looking at us like, man, kid, <laughs> you're about to be really disappointed with how this actually plays out. Because I think we get just a little piece of something, and based on how we want it to actually go, we decide not just it will go that way. And if you're a Christian, you believe God's in control, at a, at a good level it turns into, if you're saying it's going to happen, in many cases you're actually saying God's going to do it. And he's saying, you, you don't control me. You, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You can't, you can't say that this or this is going to happen in this town tomorrow or what will or won't happen. And so when James identifies the evil in this, it's not the people, it's not the planning, or in that, it's the boasting. Not a boasting that says, I'm better than you, I'm good at this, and you're not. It's a boasting that says, I can make something happen. Similar when Paul says, right, salvation isn't by works so that no man can boast. Because you can't actually make your own salvation happen. So it's not a bragging boasting as in like comparative. It's a boast that says, I think my own power, I can make something happen. And I think sometimes we may have good reason to think these things are going to happen. We, have, we call these good reasons open doors. You can go to the next slide, the, uh, the Looney Tunes one. Um, and so if you've ever watched the cartoon Wile E. Coyote, um, you know, the coyote was always trying to catch the roadrunner. I say catch. He was trying to murder this man in <laughs> horrific ways. <laughs> um, and one routine he goes through is if the coyotes, uh, they can't stand there, coyotes going on the road. And so what he'll do, go to the rock and paint a fake road on the rock so that the roadrunner will just kind of run smack into it. Uh, man, I think 
sometimes when we talk about God opening doors, this is really what's happening. Where you hit that wall, and then you're like, you're frustrated and mad with God. And he's like, because you're like, oh, God, why would you open that door for me if it wasn't for me to have? And I think he's, sometimes he's saying, well, there wasn't an open door there. There wasn't a closed door there. There was no door there. There was a wall, and you and what you wanted to happen painted a door on this wall. And when you ran into it, that was my fault. And now you're mad at me. Because you just got so caught up in tomorrow, I'm going to go to such and such city, and this is going to happen. Right? And I think God is saying, like, look, this is, this is a type of boast that, like, is evil. Not in the planning, not in just assuming, oh, like, there is an open door and this is going to happen. Because I think there's a good version that's happened. Go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. That is the answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Ah, I didn't put it up there. We'll make it work. Um, and so what's happening, this is the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church. Um, it was kind of a corrective letter. Um, and he, he, at the end of this letter, he's given them his plans for to see them again or to see other Christians again or to send some other Christians back to them in their place. Uh, and so in verse 5, Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." Right? So in this, right, Paul's making plans. That's not the problem. He's obviously making plans. And he's making plans based on the fact that he sees, hey, God has opened the door for me to do these things. Chasing after that isn't the issue. But what you also see over and over in this when he talks about his intentions or perhaps or if the Lord permits, it's clear in his mind that it's all depending on what God wants. Right? Not necessarily that specifically you've got to say if the Lord wills before every sentence. But is it your attitude? Is it on the forefront of your mind that does God want this to happen? And so I think sometimes uh, the list, sorry, we had a, I was late getting to buying the PowerPoint. We're up there? Cool. All right. So you got four things that would be like good things to happen that you kind of plan. Hey, I'm going to go out and interview. I'm trying to get this job. I'm going out, trying to get a date. I'm planning a vacation. I'm planning on starting a family or expanding the family, whatever it may be, in the next couple of years. None of these things are in and of themselves wrong. But what happens, you do the first click, is the little plan, I need to go to Target to shop so that I can get a job, so I can make money, so that I can get a house, and I can start my life and have some purpose. And so when that target run fails, 
whatever it may be or whatever you plan on getting, it doesn't work out. You're really distraught because it's not just about, I tried to go to Target today. It wasn't just about, I wanted to get a job. It was deep down in life. This is how I was, my real life was going to start. This is how I was going to have purpose. And now my plan for that just got pushed back six months. Whether it's because the Target run didn't work out or I didn't get the job, it's, ah, I have to wait longer to have purpose. Similarly, may want to go on a date, but it's not just about the date. I want to date so I can get married, so I can be on the same level as my sister and be accepted by my parents and viewed by my parents the same way they view my sister, who's got, right, doesn't have to be married, this or this in life. I want to go on vacation, not just to go on vacation, because it's going to make me happy. I'm going to have happiness in the vacation. That's what I need to be happy. And so when you realize the vacation doesn't work out, when, say, you've been saving up all this money and say you get, I don't know, you get robbed or you lose the money, it's not just that, oh, I lost $1,000. It's someone stole my chance to be happy. Because it's much deeper than just what seems like just a little plan of what I'm going to do tomorrow. Plan on planning a family, expanding the family. And you say, it's going to happen one way or another. If I don't have the kids, I'm going to adopt or I'm a surrogate, something, some type of way, for sure, I'm going to have kids running around this house because I need to, to feel complete. Because I need to, to have this picturesque life I've always envisioned for myself. And, and these aren't absolutes. This isn't to say everyone who's planning a family vacation, who's planning a family, wants to feel complete, who, not saying you're dating just because you want to be accepted by your parents, right? And some of those, am I still on? Uh, some of those may be switched. The happiness may be in the job, or the acceptance may be in planning the family. Uh, but I think the point is that we put our hope in these things. We put our hope for happiness in the vacation or the job. We put our hope in feeling complete or accepted or a certain status in these different things that we're planning when we say, tomorrow I'm going to go to such and such city. And I think we would say, if you're putting your hope in something other than Christ, that is wrong. Right, Like verse 17 says, if you know it's wrong and you do it, it's sin. If it's sin, it's evil. It's arrogant. And it all started out with just, I'm going to Target tomorrow to shop for interview clothes. Not saying shopping at Target is wrong. <laughs> but it's just, if, this, if your attitude is on what you're going to get at the end of your plans and how it's going to complete you, how it's going to make you feel a certain way, and your hope is in your plan's being successful and not Christ, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. So, homework. I'm going to have two homework assignments. Uh, first assignment is write down the, the four underlying words. Purpose, acceptance, happiness. Uh, you can shorten that complete. Write it down, phone, whatever it may be. Uh, and the goal is for you to think over this next week, what do I do to achieve these things? What am I doing? What planning am I doing? Even if it's just the little things, to feel purpose in life, to feel accepted by parents, roommate, job, whatever it could be. What am I doing to achieve happiness? What am I doing to feel complete? And once you've figured it out, youth day, priority number one, if you are a parent, share it with the kids. They need to hear that from you. Um, if you're not a parent and there's someone you can share with, preferably in this room, so it's not just random, you know, just walk up to someone, hey, let me tell you something. 
Uh, they understand kind of the purpose of it and where it was coming from. Uh, so, we're good? Uh, I guess I can stay up there. Yeah, I can stay up there. I think sometimes you can... I think a wrong way of viewing this would be to say, I just need to manage my expectations better. I think as a cheap solution. Because what that does is you ended up, you still with the same problem where you just say, I need to learn that if I have eight things I want to get done and six out of the eight happen, I just need to talk the other two up as God's will and be happy with that. And at the end of the day, when you do that, you are still pursuing your will. It's just you're just learning how to cope with it if it doesn't happen, as opposed to saying, I need to <laughs> walk out this door thinking, how can I do his will, right? Because as this verse says, what is your life? Well, there's two answers. There's more than two answers to that. One, you're just a vapor. Pizza, is there air freshness, anything around here? Just pretend I got one, and it's there, and then it's gone. Just here for a moment. And sometimes we're even complaining to God that he sprayed us over here instead of over here. <laughs> so you're just here for a moment. And not only is your life just that vapor, but you can do a lot in that vapor. But understand, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price, a heavy price. And you got to understand that the purpose of that was not so you can just get your to-do list done. The purpose of that was not so that you can just go to your job and do whatever's in your job description that day. Or not even do what's in your job description that day and drop a couple random thank you, Lord, just so that people know you're a Christian. You've got much bigger of a job than that. And if you are stuck on what I'm going to do in this next city, make a profit, my plans, what's going to make me happy, purpose, complete, you can't do that. Another reason I think it's a cheap uh, solution is because it, it stresses that the purpose of this passage is just for simply whether or not your plans come true or not. And I think this, this passage is saying, even if they come to pass, you're still in a bad situation, right? Let's take these up here. Say you were the date person. You got married, you got accepted by your parents. Then your sister has a baby. Now what do you need to do? You got to have a baby too. You got to catch up constantly. You go on vacation, you're trying to be happy. You get, you, get, you get in an argument, and you're like, we can't argue because we're on vacation, <laughs> right? Because that, that is the source of happiness, and it's, that's not, that's not a, a, even a Christ-centered thing. We're not supposed to argue because of vacation. We're not supposed to argue because it's Christmas. These are the things. It's like, well, you are like continually pursuing this list that's not going to make you happy, even if you get it. On this job, feeling complete, having this purpose in life, you just constantly or, yeah, chasing other things. When you realize there's that next status to get everywhere you get in the job. Oh, I can be a manager. I can be a VP. This person's got a nice pension. I need that. And you chase it and you chase it and chase it. And then you die because in this vapor of life and what you accomplished, ignoring all the other relationships and just chasing the statuses, you made sure your funeral was paid for. Now, if you've, if you've taken on someone else's debt, you know that's no small thing. But <laughs> the point is, what was it worth? It was vain. Just like in Ecclesiastes, right? The sun rises just to set. The, you plant the flower just for it to die. 
if you taste these things, even if you get them, it's not about here's how you handle it if you don't get them. Even if you get it, you won't be happy. Zero percent chance of being happy. God is saying, plan for me. Plan to go after my things. If you think of it as just managing my expectations, you're missing half of it. You're still going to pursue your thing. And you'll think one fix is just on the outside, just being a little more Jesus-like. Um, I think Christmas is a perfect example of why this doesn't work. Uh, so I didn't go home for eight years, eight or nine years. So I spent a lot of times over other people's house for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And what I saw, even in my own home, routinely, I think we can admit it, Christmas is not about the birth of Jesus. Even though as Christians, we know that, we can answer that question, that's what we say. But in home after home, hearing people talk, Christmas is about food, family, presents, maybe some basketball. (laughs) And I think, again, if you say, no, that's not the case, well, how do you talk about it? Working in a nonprofit, and constantly I hear someone say, we need to help this family, they can't afford Christmas. What are you saying? You're saying they can't afford to talk about the birth of Jesus? No. You're saying they can't afford the presents and the food. When you say, oh, man, Christmas this year is going to be stressful, outside the situation where a family member down, you're talking about the people coming over and figuring out what presents to get for everyone and the stress of hosting. You're not talking about, talking about Jesus' birth is going to be stressful. So even though you know it in the back of your mind, I think James said, I don't care what's in the back of your mind. What's in the front of your mind? The front of your mind says you can hang up all the Jesus pictures around your house you want, but and until it becomes the front of your mind, there's a good chance that Christmas may not be about the birth of Jesus. And so the same thing happens here, right? After you have that food, you chase for, after six hours, you hungry again. The family comes over after six hours, you tired of them. <laughs> Those basketball games, two hours. <laughs> Those basketball games come on after a while, you're tired of them. And even if you pursue, right, you read that Jesus story, you watch that Christmas movie, whatever it is, there's a good chance you will not watch it again until next December. Because it's not truly on the front of your mind. It's all vain. It all gets old. And Jesus is saying, look, number one, focus on me and my will. Again, this is, I know this is a what to do, not how to do. I, that's, that's what small groups would be for when we start those next week, next year. Um, but, so I think how you relate this to others, the first thing I would say would be point people to the gospel. We as Christians and trying to be loving and encouraged and have a bad habit of pointing people back to their plans. Right? You're on vacation, be happy. Someone's upset because, I don't know, the date didn't work out or whatever, man, you say, be patient, it'll happen. Right? You're just pointing them right back to their plans as opposed to helping them understand that the, the, the belief that Christ left heaven died for your sins so we can have an eternal relationship with you should be your number one priority. And that's what I want to point you to 
Sometimes we even mess this up by, instead of making the gospel being about loving God, it's about how can I love myself more using these truths about God. It's another sermon, but we do it. So point people back to the gospel instead of pointing them back to their plans. Uh, Another way I think we can help relate this to other people um, is just simply in the thought that, going back to my dad earlier, I think we get used to how, I don't want to say blessed, but how much God has protected us. And that's why we think things are such a given, because we're just so used to how, how God has protected us. And when there's people all across the world who don't have this reality, it's not a given. I looked up something that said there are around uh, 55 civil wars or civil unrest going on around the world. Most recently, Myanmar, Syria, Venezuela, where people legitimately do not have that expectation that I will go to work and come back. Right? We, we have that because of how he has protected us. And this is political, but I do think as Christians we need to reassess how we think, vote, talk about refugees. Because there are people trying to escape this harsh reality of not having this it's going to happen lifestyle. Because it's, it's not a guarantee for them. Coming home is not a guarantee for them. Um, so I think on the last one, Last thing we can relate to each other with this is to, to look at that. Often we come home and you see the, the iron was left on, the candle was not blown out, right? And initially you want to be like, oh, whew, thank you, Lord, for protecting me. But then you go and find the person who left it on and then you, rah, 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 you chew into them because the house wasn't protected. And I tell you, as a kid, you're wondering, well, which is it? Was the iron being plugged in or unplugged, keeping us safe, or was God being plugged, God keeping us safe? Right? Not saying you shouldn't take precautions and be wise and you shouldn't live reckless, but I'm telling you, as a kid, you're hearing that and you're like, Mom, I'm hearing two different stories from you. Which is it? And so I think the purpose of this isn't for us to be cynical or to be like, oh, God might kill me in the next five seconds, so I should go preach to somebody instead of going to work. But I think (laughs) we need to live a life that's much more acknowledging of him, and that should lead us to be thankful for just little things. Here's your second homework assignment, then I'll be done, because I'm at my 30-minute mark. Second homework assignment for this week. When you come home, take an intentional moment to be thankful thankful that you got home. Every day this week, have an intentional moment that you are, that you are thankful that you actually got home. Maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago when the snow hit, I looked on the news that next morning, there was two, about 253 car wrecks in like four hours after that snow came. I think 53 of them were fatal. Be thankful that you got home. Before looking around and seeing what is done, what isn't done, what you forgot, what you left, yada, be thankful that you got home. Right? And don't, and don't ruin it. But okay, did that now. And then start <laughs> chewing into everyone. Uh, but I do think after a while, when you do this, you realize some of that stuff, I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. 
be thankful that you got home because you didn't have to. But we live as if it's a guarantee. Live as a guarantee. Part two of that, if you're coming home to someone, wife, boyfriend, spouse, dog, roommate, parents, be thankful that they are there. If you have an intentional moment of being thankful that you got home, have an intentional moment of being thankful that they were there. So many people come home to someone passed out, swinging from the ceiling, not home, not knowing where they are. Be thankful you got home. Be thankful that whoever you saw when you got there was there. And realize our life is just a vapor. Here one moment gone the next. But in that vapor, you can glorify God so much, remembering what he's done for you, most importantly through Jesus, and point others back to the hope that's in the gospel, not the hope that's in our other plans. Good? Give it over to you. You know, as I sat there, one of the things about vapors, depending on what you spray, um, that vapor has an aroma for the time that it's there. And that was its intent. And it just made me think, are we that aroma in the vapor that we are of Christ while we're here? Or are we just smelling up the place? Are we that vapor that people can't wait opening the door? opening the window for it to pass? Or are people enjoying the aroma of our lives? <laughs>